I mean, I've always been interested in nature. Kind of mother nature's perfect animal, you know? Seeing Nile crocodiles and being kind of terrified. Welcome to the Nature Talks podcast. Well, hello and welcome to another of our Nature Talks episode. It's a very long time we have not had episodes, but this time we are up for something very unique and very unique indeed. We are speaking about the world's most trafficked animal, pangolins. Of course, they are both famous for the most um, disheartening uh, time of their decline and extinction, almost heading towards extinction. But they're also known to us for their cuteness and armory uh, bodies. So here with me is, is Kelsey from P uh, from Pangolin Conservation Research Center. Is, it, is, is that true? Uh, did I say it right? Pangolin Conservation and Research Foundation. Well, that's wonderful, man. So PCRF is a short form of it. And yes. so that's great. So if you are ready, we can. Uh, I would like to first ask you to introduce yourself. Uh, why are you here? <laughs> yeah, so I am the founder and executive director of the Pangolin Conservation and Research Foundation. Um, also uh, the secretariat of the Namibian Pangolin Working Group. And I'm also um, on the IUCN Pangolin Specialist Group as the co-chair for Southern Africa. that's wonderful of course to to hear and and, and Kelsey of course um, we I mean according to as far as I know I, I believe pangolins are not that much known to us I mean we don't know much about pangolins so what was it that got you interested in in working with these unique creatures well that's actually uh, funny you ask because that's the main reason why I started working with pangolins I was working on my master's thesis and I was leaning towards carnivores because that's my background. Um, but uh, I came across pangolins and the fact that they're the most trafficked mammal in the world and decided, um, you know, it's actually shocking there's such little research and such little being done um, to help them. So I decided, you know, even if I move on after two years of my master's thesis, at least my thesis will be helping conserve a species. Um, because I wasn't doing it as much for the paper, but to make a difference in conservation. And uh, well, here I am now with my own uh, nonprofit organization, um, because there's just not enough being done to help help them and to learn about them. Uh, I mean, I do very much agree because I also went to your website. It's absolutely amazing, and of course, pangolins it, um, themselves are, are, are very, you know, um, least understood creatures. I mean, I was working on an art exhibition a few months back, and uh, with the students in that particular school, we made a near life-size African pangolin. And and people who visit the art exhibition, all these children who visit the art exhibition, they had no idea that what this creature was, and 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 it's pretty disheartening because even if it goes extinct people will not know it is gone because many of them don't know what this creature actually is so um, of course we reach to one of the key questions here Kelsey why why do you think pangolins are important to the ecosystem well they're they're very important for many different reasons first of all they've actually been around in ecosystems for nearly 80 million years the first fossil records date back that far and um, they've always done quite all right until people came along. And um, 
They're very important because they keep an ecosystem in balance. They almost act as a natural pest control. One pangolin can consume up to 7 million ants and termites per year. Um, the figures can go a bit higher and a bit lower, but on average, that's how many they consume. And a lot of these species are actually harvesting species. So they're eating organic matter that could be food for other things. So in an ecosystem without pangolins, some of these um, species that become pests could get out of control. And, um, you know, in areas like where I am in, in Africa, we've got communities, people doing farming, we've got wildlife. And so it's very important, especially in Namibia, that there's a lot of food out there for these animals because we're in an area where we just went through quite a severe drought in 2019. And um, in those years, uh, the pangolin in the ecosystem, you know, kept ants and termites under control. There was an estimation done that having a healthy population of pangolin in an area could be enough food for about 30 cows per year or 430 springbok. I mean, I didn't know that, so I mean, it, it, it's it's wonderful to uh, know all these things. So, um, and now, of course, because you mentioned about, um, you know, all the details about why pangolins are important. But then, for our audience here, why do you think pangolins are particularly important to us as human beings? Why do you think that we depend on pangolins uh, in general, for example? Well, I think, you know, every animal in an ecosystem and in the world is important to us. And um, it's always, you know, good to protect what we have. Like I said, the only reason they're threatened is because of us. And that's why they should actually be important and a priority for us to protect them. Because if we don't, they will go extinct. I mean, very much true because we have already lost the Galapagos tortoise, for example, on St. George. We are losing the northern white rhino and we, are, we have lost many species of human beings. And, and, and I guess I want to ask you, um, working with pangolins for, for so many years, how, how has the fact that they are, of course, the most trafficked animal on earth um, impacted you personally? Well, I think, you know, it has a huge impact because it's shaped any, everything I do and it shapes um, every aspect of my job. Um, if they weren't so trafficked, um, I would just be working probably, you know, in ecological research and maybe would have taken a different path. Um, but my master's thesis was developed um, around the fact that we're confiscating live pangolins every year. Um, and so the theme of this thesis was to look at what can we do to better, um, uh, to improve survival of trafficked pan pangolins that get released. and. Um, Having said that, I've worked in every aspect of conservation of pangolins because the fact that they're trafficked. Training law enforcement and um, rangers for the government in how to handle them because they're confiscating them. Uh, we have to do awareness because, as you said, so many people still don't even know what they are. How can you even begin to protect a species that probably more than half of the world doesn't even know exists? And um, there's just so many, so many different factors, but a lot of the work that I do revolves around the fact that they're so highly trafficked and we need to urgently gain a better understanding of their population, their ecology, as well as um, improving survival rates in, in the wild. 
Um, now, Kelsey, of course, you mentioned about your work and your organization, uh, PCRM. And I, I, I was going to ask you, well, well, how does it work? For example, if you want to conserve a pangolin, um, do you have a do you have a let's say a conservation area, or do you go to the uh, wildlife trafficking centers or the poachers and get those live pangolins and rehabilitate them? For example. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I do a lot of different things. So one aspect is working with the live confiscated pangolins in collaboration with the local government and police and other stakeholders. And after that pangolin is confiscated, it needs to be seen by a veterinarian, rehabilitated and released. And so um, after the animal has been rehabilitated, um, we release it with um, satellite and VHF transmitters to watch its movement and understand the survival and if there's any issues we can intervene. Those animals get released into national parks as well as private land of any kind, nature reserves, farms. A big problem across um, southern Africa is actually livestock farming, small livestock farming with electrical fencing as well as um, high value game farming with electrical fencing. It kills an alarming number of pangolins every year it's believed in South Africa, the electric fencing is killing more pangolins per year than poaching. Um, and so outside of that project that I do with the post release monitoring, I work in communities where pangolins exist. And so I employ pangolin rangers um, to offer sustainable livelihoods for these rangers. And um, they also act as kind of like a research assistant. So they collect data on the animals, they monitor them, but they're also protecting them. Um, so that's kind of to give you an idea, we work in any kind of area where there are pangolin existing. And so not only do we offer the protection, we're doing research to gain a better understanding of, of their ecology, as I mentioned. Uh, we also look at genetics and population density and things like that. And everything we do research-wise is for the bigger picture of being able to make guidelines and inform decisions. I mean, that's 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 amazing because, like, I mean, I mean, right there, everyone must understand that you have got the most amazing yet the most important job for in the natural world. I mean, in conservation, I think I've got the most important job because um, the northern white rhino is an animal which we know very very well, but you are working with an animal which which many people don't even know it exists. And people see their pictures, they, they, they think it's it's a mythical creature. But you're working on saving them, the most trafficked animal. Um, and this brings us to the question, um, Kelsey, what are the threats faced by pangolins today? Because I mean, I've, I've heard people use them for medicines and all these things. But, but what is the main threat that is faced by them today? Yeah, so I kind of touched on one of the threats there. But, um, you know, the main threat to pangolins is actually um, uh, poaching for traditional medicine, but not just any traditional medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. Um, they're also eaten as a delicacy. Um, so the big threat comes from, you know, Asian markets because there are four species occurring in Asia and they are basically critically endangered. Two are critically endangered, two are endangered. They've basically been poached out. Now, um, these markets are, you know, seeking to fill those gaps where they can't get pangolins anymore, so they're turning to Africa. In Africa, traditionally, they've also been used in medicine for spiritual beliefs. 
Um, in Namibia, we've got a huge number of tribes. They all have a different belief. Some protect them, some don't. Um, but it's never been a threat to where we were worried about populations de decreasing. But now there's um, this international market and trade. That's the number one threat. Um, as I mentioned, in, in Southern Africa, we also have this very big problem with electrical fencing. Um, a study done in South Africa found that for every 11 kilometers of electric fence, one pangolin dies. And this goes for all small mammals. And there's a lot of additional factors. There hasn't been much research even on the threats. We know that climate change is impacting them. Uh, my original study site received half the annual rainfall in 2019 and um, I had 50% of the research pangolins die. Um, so that was a huge impact. Um, they also um, sometimes, you know, habitat encroachment is a huge thing. Um, and changing habitat, changing land use. Um, as more people encroach into these natural areas which might have been otherwise absent of people, it brings into this kind of um, you know, you could say almost conflict where pangolins are now in an area where there's people because people intruded in that area. Or now there's a road or even a fence that changes the way these animals move. So changing habitats and, you know, um, encroachment on their habitat is also a major threat. Uh, I mean, yeah, sadly, we, we don't know much about the pangolins, but, but we know that due to our actions, they're going on a very fast decline, and so is the whole of, of the natural world. So, so Kelsey, um, I mean, of every animal on Earth, every single creature on Earth, there is there is some misconceptions. So, what is one misconception you have seen or misconception that um, you have heard of uh, about penguins? Well, I think the biggest misconception in general is when people are believing that it can be used for medicine or any sort of spiritual belief. Um, their scales are made out of keratin, just like our fingernails. There is no um, medicinal value to that. You know, you might as well chew your nails off, <laughs> then kill a pangolin. Um, and I would say, in my opinion, that's the biggest misconception that is out there. Uh, and it goes for all of the illegal wildlife trade in believing that these animal parts have some, uh, you know, actual merit and value in medicine. Uh, uh, of course, very much because like there are pictures online that that show um, this this whole stack of pangolins without their scales. So is it is it the only the scales that are used, or are other parts of the pangolin used as well? It depends where you are, um, but generally, even in even in Asia, they will use different parts for different things. As I mentioned, their meat in Asia is eaten as a delicacy, and um, there's different things like a fetus is considered to have different healing properties than the scales same with the tongue and the claws so um you know there's a, every every piece of the pangolin almost basically could have some sort of use there's even evidence that people believe the blood has a, a special value um the list goes on and um really it's it's just uh, a big misconception i mean that, that's that's very much scary indeed i mean um, it, it is sad that we are losing them for something which is not true. Um, and now we, we, we get to the uh, one of the most fun questions. Um, Kelsey, of course, you have been working with pangolins. So 
one question, one part of the question is, uh, do you always wanted to become a pangolin expert or or not? And the second part of the question is, um, uh, what is some fun experience you had with pangolins? Um, why are they important? And why do you think they must be saved? Okay, yeah. So um, I didn't always want to work with pangolins, as I mentioned before. Um, I knew that I always wanted to do something where I could make a difference for animals and wildlife. I was originally on track to become a veterinarian for wildlife, um, but I started getting involved with the species survival planning and conservation at a bigger level and decided that I'd rather put my time in, into something that I can actually make a difference for the species. And I want to do it in a place where it's really needed. Um, I want to do it on the ground. And so that's kind of what brought me to Africa and that's really what drew me to Pangolin is, you know, um, if I'm dedicating my, you know, career and life to this because you have to make a lot of sacrifices in conservation, um, I wanted to be making a difference and I want to be helping endangered species. And so that's the first part of the question. Uh, the second part of the question, I could say that, you know, every day is a special experience with these animals. Um, so few people have the privilege to get to observe them. Um, and I feel like it is such a privilege. I've had, I think some of the best moments include, you know, um, as you can see the picture behind me, seeing a mom and a pup. Um, I've been fortunate enough to see it quite a bit, but there's one, one moment that really stands out to me. It was uh, early on when I started, uh, started the research project and you know i knew nothing i mean really about their behavior at all and um i found this female she'd been missing from the the place i used to know her to be in so i was a bit worried about her because uh we didn't know much about her range and she was curled up with blood on her back so i was absolutely worried like what is wrong with her um why is why is there blood but I'm not going to interfere. I'm going to let her uncurl and just see what she does because the whole part of the research is to really understand. Um, you know, it's in a natural setting. It wasn't human inflicted, so let me see what happens. And she actually uncurled. And very slowly, this little head popped out from behind her back. And that blood on her back was actually from the umbilical cord. So this was a newborn pup which is very special because usually they hide their newborn pups away and they're very hard to observe until about two months old. They only get moved. And then the moment got even more special because she was about 10, 15 meters in front of me and she was headed um, that direction. And for whatever reason, she suddenly turned completely around and actually walked over my feet with this baby. And um, that was very special because um, you know, they are very good at smelling and she knew that I was there. There's no way that she didn't know of my presence because they have such, uh, such a good sense of smell. And just about another 15 meters on, she stopped and let it off her back and let it nurse. And so that was quite special um, because they are quite shy animals. And I actually had another female do it shortly after that. And so the first female I mentioned, she was very used to my presence because I would collect foraging samples from her. But the other female, if she heard my car, she'd be in a burrow. And she actually did something very similar. She was walking away from me and she made a complete turnaround and actually walked over my feet with her baby. 
and um, it actually got knocked off the bush. She went under and she patiently waited and let it climb back on. I would definitely say like that's, those are some of the most special moments I've had. I mean, that's that's indeed one of the greatest moments because I can imagine it very much clearly because, I mean, I also uh, have had some unexpected wildlife experiences. I mean, it, it is pretty astonishing because like working with nature or working with science or working with wildlife, every day is something new. I mean, you may think of you knowing an animal or a place very, very well, but they, there is something, something unexpected that can happen. Um, so um, you you spoke, of course, about uh, the pangolin's baby. So have you got any uh, footage or any videos of of, of the uh, pangolin and its infant? Yeah, yeah, I do have footage of the baby. So baby's actually right on their mom's back. So I'm trying to move here, so you can actually see um, they kind of hold on with their tails. So I do have footage uh, where the baby's climbing on the mom's back, riding on the mom's back. In this particular photo, that baby is about one month old. And um, yeah, I've been lucky to see them from this small age all the way up to four or five months. Sometimes they still try and climb on mom's back when they're already over half of her body weight. So we do have lots of amazing footage. Like I said, it's just such a privilege to get to, you know, work with these animals, help them and research them. I mean, I mean that's that that's beautiful indeed. Um, so, Kelsey, in the wild, apart from human beings, um, how is let's say penguins' behavior? Do they have predators? Are they strong animals? Can they defend themselves or not? Yeah. So um, they do have some natural predators, but they are so strong um, that they very often um, they they can survive an attempt. Um, so a fully grown, healthy adult can lock into such a tight ball that not even like a lion or hyena can do anything to it. Um, and there are videos out there from people on safari where lions have played with a penguin for about 10 hours and they just give up. Usually they give up much sooner. Um, having said that, they can still predate them, but most predators get bored. Um, I've seen every once in a while a scale get ripped off, um, but you know, they actually have very, very sharp claws, like razor blades. So when that predator's doing that, they actually can thrash their body and they can like slice open the nose of that predator. Um, and so they actually can be um, quite defensive, but having said that, the young are quite vulnerable. Um, until uh, after, you know, maybe a year and a half or so, they can be quite vulnerable because their scales are still developing, they're still small. Um, they've also been seen to be predated by crocodiles. Um, but like I said, generally speaking, um, they survive quite well uh, as a healthy adult. Um, we are the main threat and we are the main reason for their decline. I mean that's that's true and sad. I mean the natural world has been lost drastically over the over the many years uh, of, our, of our existence on Earth. And uh, I mean each and every single one of us, when considered saving these creatures, has got an impact to make. Um, no matter if I live in UAE or different parts of the world, we all um, you know have our impact on all these animals. So so Kelsey, um, one of our most important part of the podcast is is when we 
ask our guest speakers to put their expertise into you know into practice on on what they think um, is 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 the best possible way is the best possible let's say ways that that individuals just myself or, or younger people can can engage in, in in saving pangolins and all life on earth so when it comes to pangolins specifically one of the most important things people can do is to share um, as we talked earlier there's still a huge number of people that don't know what a pangolin is every week in this country um, when i talk about it people say what we have that here what is that um, and so it's very important to share posts, to share videos, you know, raise awareness because like I said earlier, you can't protect an animal if you don't even know what it is. So I think, you know, that's one of the biggest things, you know, raising awareness and education on the subject. Um, you can't save a species that you don't know exists. But on a larger scale, the only way that we can save our wildlife, as I mentioned, climate change is a threat to pangolins, but not only pangolins, a lot of these insectivorous um, species that are living in these areas are highly threatened by climate change due to drought and, and other natural disasters. So one of the most important things is sustainability. Sustainability across all aspects of life, but not just over the top, but you know, reduce, reducing and reusing and recycling, but don't do it for a week. You have to do it your whole life. Live a sustainable life. And, you know, um, I think in the, in the long term, that's going to be the only way we can save all nature on this planet is that we can all reduce our footprint and do what we can to spread awareness and education on these things. And in the end, that's the best that we can do as individuals, because the more of us that can live in a way that's more sustainable, the bigger impact that we can all have together. That's of course one of the uh, the best solutions that can be done by all of us. And um, of course, before we reach the end of our of our podcast, um, um, it is very important to save these creatures, and all of us has a has a great impact on how we can do so. So, 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 Kelsey, what what is your number one message to the world on on, on pangolins, and what what's your number one message to the entire world? We can say. I, my number one message is that we all need to work together to save pangolins. Like I said, spread awareness, share share any kind of posts and education that you can, because the more people that know what they are and that they even exist, the more people that can start putting their minds together to help them. Thank you so much, Kelsey. Of course, I learned a lot from this session myself. And as you said, awareness is, is, is key to everything, because until we don't understand how something, let's say how pangolins, how nature functions, we cannot have that curiosity, we cannot have that, that mindset of saving them. And until we cannot understand to save them, um, we cannot save the planet naturally itself. So thank you so much for joining me today. And it was great speaking to you and looking forward to more collaboration in the future. Thank you so much to your team and yourself for whatever you do for pangolins and in the natural world. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This is already a great start to raising more awareness for pangolins. So, thank you so much. I mean, I've always been interested in nature. Kind of Mother Nature's perfect animal, you know? Seeing Nile crocodiles and being kind of terrified. Welcome to the Nature Talks podcast.